Good morning. It's good to be here with you and a chance to worship and to look at God's Word together. And uh, during this season of Easter, from the time of remembering the resurrection on Easter up to Pentecost, which is next Sunday, uh, we've been looking at the book of Acts, this New Testament book that tells us about the beginning of the church, about the risen Christ gathering his people. And as we've been looking at passages from the book of Acts, we've been asking, kind of, what is it? What is this new community like? When Jesus begins to gather people, what is the church called to be? And over the last few weeks, if you've been here, you've heard us talk that in, these, in the Acts, we've seen that the church is called to be a community that's formed by the proclamation of the gospel. It's a community marked by prayer, prayer for ourselves and prayers for our neighbors. The church is called to be a generous community, a community of radical welcome, a community of new beginnings. And this morning, we're going to look at Acts 20, and the Apostle Paul gives a farewell speech. And in particular, he addresses the elders of the church in Ephesus. We live in a time of deep kind of isolation or individualism, and we can often find ourselves alone or even surrounded by people feeling disconnected from others. It's also a time of suspicion or even weariness about moving towards others or have others move towards us. But in the midst of that kind of setting and that culture that we find ourselves, what I hope is that we see in this morning is that Paul's exhortation, this speech that he gives, reminds the church that we're not simply a collection of individuals. But the church is called to be a connected community, a place where we can know and be known, even a community that is learning to be cared, receive care, from one another. So let's look at our passage. This is from Acts 20, verse 17 to 21, and then 28 to 38. You can follow in your order of worship or, or your Bible, or you can just listen as I read. Now from Miletos, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. 
and they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word, given for our good. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for your word, and we thank you that you gathered us here together as your people and your presence, and we, we ask that you would speak to us. We pray that by your spirit that you lift our heads, that we would hear from you, and that you would speak grace into our shame and into our worries. Lord, we need you to meet us, and we ask that you do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, having read the passage, I want us to look at three different things this morning, three parts to the sermon. The first, we'll look at Paul's relationship uh, with the church uh, in Ephesus. Second, we'll look at Paul's speech, how he exhorts the elders. And then third thing, we'll make a couple observations uh, for our own lives. So starting with Paul's relationship and connection to the church in Ephesus, uh, you might notice that in our passage, it's somewhat kind of autobiographical description of kind of what's happening with him and what's experienced. By the time we reach Acts 20, this book, the Apostle Paul has spent the last seven or eight years traveling throughout the Mediterranean world, preaching the gospel and planting churches. But our passage comes at a point of transition. Paul is on a long journey to Jerusalem. And this long journey started in Corinth, and it has been a long journey both on land and by sea. And at this point, Paul has been on a ship making stops along the western coast of modern-day Turkey. Eventually, he'll sail across the Mediterranean to Israel. But as we pick up the passage, he has stopped for a few days in a harbor, Miletos. Miletos is about 30 miles south of Ephesus. And so Paul uses this chance to send a messenger to the elders of the church in Ephesus, asking them to come. You see, Paul has had a deep connection with this church. He, he's been there, he was there for three years before going to Corinth on this long journey. He had been there for three years with that church. And Paul's speech is unique. It's the only one delivered in the book of Acts that is not a proclamation to people to come to faith, but rather a message to the church, to those who are already part of the church, as he instructs them how to live as Christians. You yourselves know how I lived among you. I sought to serve the Lord with humility. I served with tears in the midst of trials. In the face of opposition, I taught in public and went from house to house. And I worked not to be a burden to you. And I shared about repentance and faith in Jesus to all people, both Jews and Gentiles. And Paul summarizes his presence, his relationship, his work in two ways. One, his suffering and to his, his bearing Christ's name to all people. Suffering, he, he says, remember my faithful service in the midst of trials. Remember my, my unceasing proclamation of the gospel, even in the face of opposition. Remember how I was willing to surrender my liberty, my comfort, my reputation for Christ. And concerning the proclamation of Jesus, Paul uses a variety of words. He taught he preached, he proclaimed, he declared in public and from house to house and to all people, no matter what background they had, inviting them to know the joy of Jesus. And why does he recount this relationship in his ways? Paul's not just creating a resume, you know, for a, a future interview. He tells them that this is the last time that he'll see them. He's traveling to Jerusalem and in the, the ancient world to travel that distance and that time he knows he won't be making it back to see them. So he wants to say goodbye. He wants to honor the connection that he's had with them, to honor the life that they've lived together. 
But he also wants to tell the elders who he's gathered to remind them of the path that he walked, to remind them of how he lived among them that they might do the same. I can remember back when I was in the 7th and 8th grade, just a few years ago, that I ran cross-country on the uh, cross-country team. And I remember a few things. One thing I really remember was I was given these very small black running shorts I had to wear, which was very, felt very embarrassing as a 7th grade boy. Uh, but I also remember that we ran at a place called Keener Park uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And there was a course painted with a white line through the park, and that was the, the trail that we were to run for our cross-country practices and meets. Up and down hills, through the woods, through grass fields, Keener Park had it all, and the white line took us you know, where we were supposed to go from start to finish. If you could picture such a thing, that's what Paul is doing in some ways. He's pointing out the line that he's walked. He's pointing out, saying, I've tried to order my life around the person of Jesus. Now, I want you to remember how I lived so that you know the path that you are to walk yourself. For faith, we don't just need to hear our faith. We need to see it. And Paul's saying, look at my life. Remember it. And that moves us to the second part of a passage, second part of the sermon, that not only is Paul honoring that relationship, that connection, but he is calling, he's exhorting the elders to care for the church, to continue in their calling. In this passage, we get a glimpse into the structure of the church and to its leadership. Paul sends for the elders. He sends for the elders, the presbyteri. That word might sound vaguely familiar. The Greek word for elder, presbyteros, is what comes the name Presbyterian. The name of this church, part of it comes from the form of church government. That we're a church that's organized not around an individual leader, but around a group of elders, like we see here. And so when Paul sends for the elders, the response is not, who? Who are you talking about? What are elders? Right? No, no, there is an existing group. There is a group already there who have been appointed and ordained local leaders in the church. And this was the practice wherever Paul went, that wherever he started a church, that when he departed, that he formed a group of elders that would lead the congregation. And now he's calling them not to a new calling, but rather he's reminding them, he is exhorting them, he's telling them again, continue what you're doing. Continue this work. And he describes the work as they are to be overseers or guardians. Pay attention. Guard yourself and guard the congregation. The elders aren't only to oversee, but they are to nurture. They are literally to shepherd the church, the passage says. Paul uses a variety of images to talk about the church, but here is uniquely the time that he talks about a sheep, sheep with a shepherd. He must have in mind as he's beginning to leave and not come back to see that church ever again, that he wants these elders to lead, to protect, and to feed the sheep. And this is a significant point in the story of Acts as we think about the church. That from Acts, from the very beginning, we see in the Apostle Peter he gave a sermon in Acts 2 calling the church together. And throughout Acts, we see the, the growth of the church, the spread of the gospel under the leadership of the apostles, those directly called by Jesus. But now here we see that as the apostles move on or are put to death for their faith, that there are local leaders that are set up to 
protect and guide and shelter the church. Well, we could talk longer about the role of an elder, church government, but here I'd rather spend some time thinking about the broader picture of the church. What does this speech, what does this exhortation to the elders say about the church? What things come to mind as you picture as Paul is describing what the elders are to do, what things come to mind? Well, I won't ask you to read my mind. The, the word that I want you to think about, or the one at least on the list of others that you might come to mind, is the word connection. The word connection. The image of the church is one of persons linked to one another. The words care, the words oversight, feeding, protecting, these are all relational terms involving people in relationship with one another. And as we look at this, we could simply say, well, this is a message to some elders from thousands of years ago. But rather, it's a chance for us to think about our experience of the faith, our experience of church, and to see that the Christian life is a call for us to live in relationship to others, connected to one another, to be cared for, to even suffer together, to face obstacles or trials together, to experience loss or uncertainties together to gather for worship, to gather for learning together, to be protected, to walk and encourage each other, to walk together under leaders who guide. And as I said earlier, Paul was telling the elders about his life because he needed them to remember how to live as leaders. And the reality is for you and I that we need to hear the faith, we need to study the scriptures, but we also need the faith practiced together. We need to see it as flesh. And that we do that in our connection with one another. For think much of the Christian life, the virtues that we are to live, have to involve other people. If we want to be people of forgiveness, it means asking for forgiveness of the one that you have hurt. Or maybe forgiving those who have hurt you. If we want to be people of generosity out of the gospel of Christ, then it means that we would receive gifts, be willing to receive gifts and help from one another, or to see our resources as ways to bless one another. If we want to be people marked with patience, then it means abiding, abiding with each other, abiding with someone even if they're different or difficult. Patience may be even meaning to watch or teach children that are not your own. <laughs> to guide them in the faith. The Christian life is to be lived, and so we are invited in this passage to think about the church as a connected community. Connected to one another. And what comes to mind? What, how do you feel when you think about that call to connection? To experience care from each other, to experience oversight? And guidance. Some of us might feel drawn to it, might feel like this is what I want, this is how I want to live. But others of us might feel uncertain or resistant or, or weary of such a thing. And so having looked at Paul's connection to the church in, in Ephesus and having heard his exhortation to the elders, I want us to think about two maybe challenges that we feel, two fears that can arise. The first being that when we think of connection, it's possible when we think of connection, especially with leaders called to care for us, 
that we might worry that connection is simply about control. Connection is reduced down to being controlled or controlling someone else. The challenge or fear of someone pressuring you or just simply telling you this is how you have to be. We're familiar whether from our own experiences or from the stories of others with leaders who fail us, who use us rather than guard, who seek to control rather than serve. And maybe part of us is that I don't want someone else you know, taking me in. I don't want someone else that seeing me as part of their ambition. And if we have that worry or that resistance is inside of us, then we need to see that connection in our passage does not mean being controlled by others. The image of leadership and shepherding in our passage is not one of control, but one of service rooted in the grace of God. I don't know if you noticed this, but in Paul's speech, he talks about himself and his work. He talks about the call of the elders, but it begins and it ends with really a call to remember God's grace to them. Remember the church. Who is the church? It is those God has obtained by Jesus' blood. And then when Paul is concluding, he says, I commend you to God and to God's word of grace that they may encourage you and hold you fast. You see, Paul, this great apostle, doesn't ultimately call the people to himself or commend them to him. Rather, he wants, in the midst of this sense of connection and calling, to remember the grace of God for them. And this is the truth for all of us, no matter where we are today regarding the relationship to the church or our role in it, that our place of entry, our place of connection is rooted in God's grace towards you. Do you see how it is described? The church is those who have been purchased by God's blood. The other day, I came across an article about the worst sports banners hung up in arenas. I don't know, I, I always see these interesting things. I want to read them. And some of you might be familiar with this, that when teams win championships or other you know, celebrations, they often raise a banner on the wall or in the rafters. And this person wanted to point out the ones that they thought were the most ridiculous. I won't give you the whole list, but the one that, that I thought was interesting, the one that this person seemed really to be bothered by, was this large banner saying that this particular team had the top attendance in the league. The top attendance in the league. Now, the person who wrote the article was very upset, saying banners are about championships. They're about things that you fought for and earned, not about attendance. We can think about sports banners. You can think about your work, about other places. But there are all sorts of titles that we have to work to earn. Maybe some of you are in the midst of your job building and working towards a title that will be very meaningful to you. But here it is different. Here the title is different. This is not a title that has been earned or deserved. The title, the church of God, has been given to you. The title of one belonging to God has been given to you and it's based in God's action for you in Jesus. God gave his own blood to purchase you. That is the gospel. That you're connected to God, united to God, not by what you have done, but by God's actions for you. And Paul commends the church saying, when you remember all these things, most importantly, remember God and God's word of grace. That your identity, that your hope for the future, your sanctification and being part of God's family forever is rooted in God's gracious actions towards you. 
So why talk about this grace? Well, it's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's the reason that we're here. But also it is a guard against seeing leadership or connection in a, a church organization. It's a guard against that being about control. It's a guard against somehow that we belong to the leaders in our life or that somehow the leaders are the ones who dictate who we are. It's for this reason our identity is in Jesus, not determined by leaders, nor can be broken by human leaders. See, the elders, the Holy Spirit has entrusted you to the care, to care for God's people, those that He has purchased. And therefore, the work of the church and its leaders is always under. The work is always in response to the work that God has first done in Christ. And it's in light of that that the elders are not called to control or somehow you know, be a burden to the church, but they are rather to keep watch of themselves, to keep watch, be alert, stay awake, see first your own sin or your own need, guard against your own greed, guard against seeking your own personal status or ambition. Do not see your role as a way for monetary gain, but any role in the church, especially the role of an elder, is to one to serve. Follow the pattern of Jesus who laid down his life for the flock, seeking to bring them good, especially for the weak, helping the weak and being gracious to them. The Apostle Peter writes something similar when he's writing to the elders later in the New Testament, saying, do not be domineering, and do not do this for personal gain, but rather follow the example of Christ. You see, our connection to one another, our willingness to even be cared for by those above us as leaders, is based in, is rooted in the grace of Jesus. In the care and oversight, our connection is always rooted in reflecting what God has done for us. So one challenge is the weariness of what that connection can be like, that we won't want to be under control or others. But another point of challenge for us can that we be, is that we live in a culture of isolation. I'm assuming that you can relate to me in this, that we, it's often feel alone. And a city of millions can feel disconnected. And the question that comes up as we think about this passage is do we need, do we really want to be connected to others? Do I really need others to be involved in my spiritual life? Our passage speaks about the church as a flock that will be threatened. Paul writes about fierce wolves that will enter the flock leading it astray. When Paul writes that, he's following Jesus' own words. Jesus said when he sent out his disciples, I send you as lambs among wolves. The elders are to pay attention to their own lives and to the lives of the church. All members of the church, not just a few, are in need of care. All face challenges. There's an author named Megan Ogaiben, and she wrote an article called The Insane Idea. And in this article, she makes a point saying it's often the face of threats and the face of, of things that worry us. That, it tell, that tells us a lot about our assumptions about human nature, about human behavior. It's in the face of threats and the face of trials that we often reveal kind of how we think of ourselves or think of others. And she makes a contrast that says that there is this kind of 
spirit in the air of, of America, American imagination about self-mastery. I can make the right decisions once I get the right information. Once I gather the right information, the right learning, then I can make my own way. Asking the questions, can the individual simply help himself or herself? Can we simply just take care of ourselves? To say we live in a world that is isolating and it's such an approach that I just, if I get the right things together that I can make my way is isolating as well. The spiritual life has to be lived by in our own hearts. But the reality for you and me is that there is great benefit in talking with others. There's great benefits when being served by others or serving others, being supported by one another. The word connection has this other part to it, this idea of identification, that when we gather together in God's name, that we're invited to identify with each other, to see ourselves in each other's stories, to see ourselves as part of a community, the good and the bad, to see ourselves in the faith of others. We can ask, what do we need when we live the Christian life? What do we need? Do we just need a really good podcast that tells us the truths about theology? What do you need? What do I need to live the Christian life? Do we just need the right information? I want to suggest to you, and if you hear anything to hear this, that you, we need more than that. Teaching and hearing truth about virtues and the faith and about Christ are, are crucial, but we need each other and the support of one another to walk the Christian life together. It's always in the context of relationships that we grow. Our culture is one of achievement, of sufficiency, of climbing a ladder. We celebrate winners. We celebrate what we've earned or what we've taken hold of. And as I close, I want us to think about the, the role of giving. When I give, when I give of my gifts or my time, my resources, my presence, I can still maintain a sense of control. But what about when you receive? What about when you need help? The church, to be part of the flock, and to be a leader in the flock, always starts with receiving. It always starts with receiving. It always starts with grace, an undeserved gift. And receiving at the core means I am not in control. I am dependent. I benefit from someone outside of myself. The church is a fellowship that starts with the confession that we are unable to save ourselves, that we need something beyond ourselves. And so as we think about connection, we can ask, am I willing to receive mercy? Am I willing to receive help? Willing to receive forgiveness? The connection is centered in Christ, but is experienced together. And as our passage ends, we see an expression of that as Paul kneels down and prays with the elders. In this moment, they support each other in the face of fears and uncertainties, the face of responsibilities, and the face of saying goodbye. And I pray that we can experience that together, not only knowing the, the love of Christ, but that we can love one another in small groups or in different connections at the church. Or come and talk to one of the elders Take up an elder on the opportunity to grab coffee to talk about your life. Let us live our life connected to each other. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd be with us. We thank you for Christ who sought us out and loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.